When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we are in for a doozy of an episode today, as we are less than 24 hours removed from what was probably the Sabres' worst game of the entire season, and quite frankly, one of the most embarrassing games of the entire drought. The Sabres fell to the Columbus Blue Jackets 9-4 on home ice, Tuesday evening, as the Blue Jackets scored seven consecutive goals after the Sabres opened the scoring early in the first period. Devin Levi got the start and was pulled in the second period after saving 14 of 18 shots, handing the reins over to UPL, who saved 11 of his 16. While the numbers were ugly, obviously, for both goalies, it's hard to blame either of them for this one. The Sabres scored early in the first off a nice Rasmus Dahlin goal and immediately sat back and got their asses handed to them. We've talked a lot this season about the team's slow starts and lack of preparedness, well, Taylor, the Sabres have allowed the most first-period goals in the NHL this season at 42. I had the unfortunate experience of being at the game with our pal and former guest host, Denis, as we split a half-season ticket package. And if nothing else, Taylor, it was a lovely reminder of what it feels like to light thousands of our hard-earned dollars on fire right before your very eyes. It was clear as day. They were lazy. They were sloppy, poorly structured, and were a flat-out embarrassment against a team that they are undeniably better than, or at least we thought. The flaws in their game were so easily noticeable. The breakout structure is just so disjointed as the forwards are exiting the zone and moving deep in the neutral zone well before the puck was even close to being out of their own end. Their breakout passes Terrible and predictable, and yet again, Granado rolled out the Darlene Samuelson, Power Yoki Haru, and Clifton Eric Johnson pairs while sitting Ryan Johnson, and boy, oh boy, did they pay for it dearly. One note on Johnson. I went back and checked Taylor. Over the last month, since November 19th, they are 6-4-1 when Ryan Johnson is in the lineup, and you ready for this? They have not won a single game that he has been scratched. This team is boring, they lack an identity, and have completely abandoned the style that made them competitive last year. In the arena, there were fire Granado chants, they were booed off the ice multiple times, and the so-called vibes that they prided themselves on cultivating are about as gone as Matias Samuelson's defensive awareness. They lack accountability in every sense of the word, and it starts at the top. They have an absent owner who we hear from once every presidential administration, a GM that's petrified to make any moves of substance and hasn't at all proven that he's capable of compiling a winning roster. And then you have a coach that continues to make the same mistakes over and over and over again and then dodges the tough questions when it comes to his rationale for making said mistakes. On this podcast, Taylor, you and I both know we make a point to try and find a happy medium between discussing stats and what we see on and off the ice. Well, the numbers are atrocious, and what we're seeing is a team that's comfortable with mediocrity on a nightly basis that plays with no heart, no pride. 
the very things that Kevin Adams was demanding of these players when he started his tenure. And now that we're at this point, how much more of this embarrassment does Kevin Adams need to see before he wakes up and starts doing his job? All that said, there's a lot for us to get to today, Taylor, from the game itself to the post-game comments to Granado's job status. So let's start with the loss, Taylor. Uh, to, to put it bluntly, what the hell was that? I think that was, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, on the short list for one of the worst losses in franchise history. And I know that's going to sound like prisoner of the moment stuff with all the bad losses that have happened uh, in the past, oof, I don't know. 53 years, but I I just want to, I'll just explain why before I even get to what happened last night. I have this philosophy that I think most people have, and I think, Brendan, you have it too. People in the early 90s when the Bills were losing Super Bowls pretended they had the opposite, but deep down, you know they'd always pick the, the Super Bowl years for the Bills over the drought years, just as we would pick the painful loss to Carolina over this, which is, my philosophy is, you'd rather be in it than not. So when it gets tough, when you're watching bad Sabres hockey, bad Bills football, any bad sport, you'd always rather be in it. By that, I mean, you know, the big moments, the playoffs, competing for championships, whatever, anything, anything from as low as the playoffs to as high as being in the Stanley Cup or Super Bowl. And even though those big, big losses are the hardest, I'm sure our older listeners would say that the the loss to the Flyers in the 1975 Cup is still haunts them. People still hate the Flyers to this day. Yep. If you're a parent anywhere out there, if your parent is over 55 years old, ask them how they feel about the fifth. Or if you're a listener of ours over 55. <laughs> yeah, or if you're a listener. Or, you know, a lot of our, unfortunately, it's getting to be this way, older listeners like us who Jesus. remember 99. <laughs> that was painful. Or 2006, which you got to, you kind of got to be getting up there in your uh, mid-20s now to remember 2006 pretty well or you know frankly the scott norwood lost in the super bowl so those are horrific they're awful losses but i kind of I, I even though they they some of those are on the short list too game seven in 2006 certainly is it still falls under you'd rather be in it than not and then i guess you'd be wondering how is this worse than a lot of other losses throughout the drought well it's 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 tough because like i look at some losses and it's like the ones that cost them the playoffs late in 08 09 2012 those are bad then you get along the line. It's like, oh, they're they're actually really bad around 2013. They got to rebuild. They're in a really bad way. They don't just rebuild. They tank. That year's bad. I don't think any of those individual losses are bad, though. The next year, even 15, 16, you would say the same thing. 16, 17, you're starting to get into these some of these really confident, shaking moments. Maybe we're not done rebuilding. Maybe Tim Murray doesn't know what he's doing. That <laughs> He gets fired. Everyone gets fired. There's a next year, 2017, 18, another terrible season, uh, which is bad because they had to reload in the middle of their rebuild and that led to a lot of bad things like well i shouldn't say bad now for the ryan o'reilly trade but who knows it led to a lot of uh it led to more suffering frankly like darcy promised us and things continued to get worse and i i thought the bottom was going to be the 2021 that shortened season it's covid no one's in the building it's this kind of bastardized fake season they're playing in a division with only seven other teams that's going to be the worst season of all time but none of those individual losses matter that much. I guess why I'm feeling this way now, maybe it might be a person of the moment thing, is because it seemed like they had kind of climbed out at least a little bit. 75-point season two years ago, which is a recognized, represented a pretty big improvement. Last year, 91 points, almost in the playoffs. This year was supposed to be in the next step. At least it was supposed to be a year where they were as good as the year before <laughs> and seemed like they would be competing going into the next year, even though we wanted playoffs this year. 
Well, here's here's what we got here. And this is to me, this is the final nail in the coffin until things until they show us differently. They are as bad, if not worse than the team two years ago, which is a team basically in the first full year of a rebuild. They're that bad. And the reason I think this loss is so bad is because this was the moment they could have at least made an attempt, could have fooled you into the new year of thinking, ah, it's not over yet, long season. They haven't looked great, but let's see. Or, oh, you know, it's just they're just a weird team. I found myself thinking yesterday afternoon, looking at their schedule, that it's not, it, there's a lot of bad teams coming up in January and February and the end of December. Well, no, end of December, not really, but January definitely. Uh, and I was I was looking at it and I was like, you know what? Just get hot and beat bad teams, something they haven't been able to do. But still, there was this opportunity to be like, ah, the, the bottom of the Eastern Conference. By that, I mean the bottom of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. A lot of teams kind of screwing around on that wild card spot. The Tampa's not that great. The Islanders aren't that great. And But it's tough because everyone's in that mix pretty much, except for one team, the Columbus Blue Jackets, a team you absolutely have to be at home, starting a backup goalie. Arguably... No, well, they are the worst team in the East. Maybe we are now. But they're probably in the bottom four in the NHL. And one of the – I was going to say arguably the worst defensive team. I don't know. The Sharks exist too. But the very bad defensive team, a team that's just bereft of any real confidence or star power. They, they For God's sakes, they had to hire their coach in like the middle of September because the psychopath they hired got fired before he coached a game. To, to have that kind of game – and to have the team score seven straight goals in what Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong, was under 30 minutes of game time. Correct. It is that, first of all, in fact, they scored nine in general. That doesn't, you know, the Sabres don't get nine put on them a lot. Most NHL teams don't. But scoring seven in that short of time is the kind of thing that it doesn't happen. This isn't 1985. Like this, this doesn't happen. It should really only happen against terrible teams. It's terrible goalies when they're facing good teams, not when you're facing the worst team in the East. This is a last place team in the East starting their backup, not even their backup goalie, a goalie who's been mostly in the AHL for a lot of his career. A guy who is no Daniel Tarasov. Congrats, man. Big win. Um, it to, to do that in this situation at this point in the drought with, I'll say it still this level of talent. It's terrible. It's the kind of thing that, I don't know how you come back from. Maybe, maybe it makes them stronger. It helps them rally. And a lot of these losses in the regular season that you have to have a bit of hindsight to see what was actually the worst. <sighs> but this is, it's it's devastating. It's, it's, I guess really what the, the way I can sum it up is this rubber stamp the season for me as this season's a failure. The Granado era is unfortunately a failure. The Kevin Adams administration. You got to start questioning, you know, whether, why, not even why you wouldn't bring him back, but why you would. Right. There's just so many things. And I think last night was such a big, like, no, you have to pay attention to this. Forget that they beat Vegas and Boston and Toronto and the Rangers now. They're bad. There's so much worse than last year, and there's not a good explanation for it. So to me, that that's where that law stands right now. I guess if it, it, Provides the inspiration for some change. Maybe it'll be a good loss, but the way it is now, I just, I don't see it that way. And I think it's kind of devastating because I think it's, it's December 20th and this season is over. Absolutely. They're, they're too comfortable. They are 100% too comfortable with the mediocrity, with the way that they're looking on the ice, with the roster that they're rolling out night after night with Granado's coaching decisions, all of that. 
because they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Like in, in Granado's case, it absolutely is the case that these are, we, we keep saying these are all earned errors. These are all on him. These are things that it's not like it's puck luck or you're getting goal lead or you're going up against some star power, uh, like really top heavy team or anything like that. There are decisions being made by this coach starting with the overall philosophy of the fact that they have overcompensated with trying to fix their team defense from last year and have seemingly abandoned what made them not only just like exciting and and fun to watch and enjoyable to watch and a likable team, but what was actually winning them games. That style was working. You just had bad goaltending the defense, as we talked about continuing continuing to trot out Darlene and Samuelson with each other, continuing to do the power and Yoki Haru pair, continuing to do the black hole that is the Clifton-Eric Johnson pair. And then you're rolling out a first penalty kill unit of Samuelson and Eric Johnson, the two most stone-foot dudes on the entire team. Not that you need burners out there or anything like that, but, I mean, with Samuelson, his size is just such a waste. He doesn't use it to his advantage at all. He's not imposing in front of the net by any means. You know, there was one play from Tuesday night's game that really stood out. So Denis and I, our seasons are in 119, which is right pretty much directly. We're eight rows up from the faceoff dot on Devin Levi's blocker side. So there was one play in particular on the power play on, on when Columbus was on the power play. It was the ridiculous goal that Marshenko scored between his legs right in front. And as we're talking about structure and tying that in with Matias Samuelson, it was like out of a sitcom or something where on the play, you see Marshenko cycle the puck and Denis and I both audibly are like, oh, they're just letting him skate right in. Like he's going right at that. That does not look good. And obviously we weren't expecting him to go in between the legs like that on Samuelson, but it was just like so obvious where he was going to go, what he was going to do because of the space that they gave him and Samuelson's lack of defensive awareness. And in reality, again, when I, when we say it's a waste, it's because when was the last time that you seen him made a, make a big hit? When was the last time that you saw him like, really smoothly and competently win a puck battle along the boards in his own zone. When was the last time you seen the guy make like <laughs> more than like two okay breakout passes during a game? Because that was another thing. Yeah, him especially I mean it was all of them, but like him especially. It was unbelievable how sloppy it was and how disjointed they look and the lack of spatial awareness and the lack of physicality and the lack of just playing with like a little bit of heart out here. So uh, again, like you look at that goal where they're scoring, they're getting scored on in ways that are just so predictable to see that just for you and I, like we are not obviously, you know, professional athletes, NHL players, but that yeah. you could be sitting there in the moment and saying out loud, like the casual fan could just be like, oh, that doesn't look good. That it, like, it's just, they're it's telegraphed. Their anticipation is non-existent. They telegraph their passes. They telegraph their reads when it comes to odd man rushes. I, when they're 
uh, oh my God. I mean, Jesus Christ, can this team score off of an odd man rush too while we're at it? One of the things that they were so good at last year, one of the better teams in the NHL at capitalizing off of the rush. And now they're just a mess. There was the one in the first period yesterday where it's like they're coming down. Paterka puts it in Cousins' skates. Cousins ends up getting it back and then just completely misses the mark. It's mind-boggling that this is the same team from last year. It's the, it's the same team. Yeah. And that in and of itself. Well, you notice the chemistry thing too, right? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. They're putting like passes in skates. They they don't know where each other are. Like, when we're saying stuff, I, I should clarify. Thank you for bringing that up. It, chemistry is more than just passing it tape to tape. It's knowing where you're supposed to be on the ice. Knowing where to fill in. If somebody, like if a defenseman is, is leading a rush and you're filling in on D, that's like the most basic sense of it. But even in your own defensive zone, knowing where guys are cycling to and knowing where you have to pick up, especially in the case for defense, because I feel like this happens a lot where it, it's a communication thing. It's a chemistry thing where like both of the defensemen are behind the red line. They're behind the net and you're leaving guys in front. And the forwards don't really do a very good job of covering their points either. Like the wingers are are brutal. The centers are are have all been pretty bad defensively this year, and that's obvious considering that the amount of high danger chances that they give up in the high slot. So like, it's it's communication, it's chemistry, it's all these things, and it's honestly. From our perspective, I feel like it's kind of funny because I was thinking about it before the episode. And now that we're only like 10 minutes in to recording it or whatever, I'm thinking about it even more as I'm talking. The fact that there is just so much that is going wrong with them right now that it's almost hard to keep track because you start talking about one thing that's going wrong. And then that leads you into another, you know, like it starts with positioning and then, oh, well, it's chemistry. Oh, well, it's that they can't finish. Oh, it's that their passing is bad. Like it's terrible on all fronts. And I guess this can kind of lead into the next part of the discussion here, Taylor. There needs to be accountability, and there's not. Yeah, that's, that's Opozo, a great Opozo giving that remark last night saying the it, like the 12 years of frustration thing is just for somebody that so often throughout his tenure, not only as a Sabre, but mainly in his time as a leader, for somebody that has consistently known the right things to say how to approach these situations to to take that accountability to bring the team together for him to chalk that up to people being frustrated over 12 years it's like this is this season was the most highly anticipated season of the entire drought due to the fact of obviously what we had last year, the, the status of the team, the supposed depth that we were supposed to have. The expectations were real. The expectations this year were you need to be a playoff team. As you talked about last episode, we're past the three-year mark for this administration, for the Adams and Granado duo together. Half the teams make the playoffs in this league. Playoffs are the expectation, and last year was as close as we have gotten throughout this entire drought. And so, no, it's not about the last 12 years. It's that you finally are at a point this year where you guys seemingly have the pieces to at least be in the conversation, and you're pissing it all away. You lost 9-4 to four on home ice to the Columbus Blue Jackets and their third-string goalie. 
I don't know if Tarasov is actually the backup or because uh, I know Elvis is hurt for them. So I don't know if Tarasov, but like Columbus, you lost to. You let up seven consecutive goals on home ice. And you're going to just chalk it up to, oh, they're mad. Well, yeah, obviously we're mad about that. But how about what's happening? How about you take some accountability for your role in this? It's mind boggling. And then, and then Granado, the last thing I'll say too, with his remarks that Lance had asked him, I believe it was at morning skate today, Lance Lysowski from the Buffalo news asked Granado the rationale behind the Samuelson Dahlin and Yoki Haru and, and power and the Clifton Johnson pairs. And Granado just gives an entire non-answer to what the actual question was, which is why do you keep putting them together? And instead just goes to, well, it appears that it's not working. So we're going to have to get away from that. Where is the accountability? Where is the, any explanation for why you think those guys work? Why you trot them out week after week, game after game and get the same results, but yet you keep doing it. Yet you keep sitting Ryan Johnson when he is the third best defenseman on this team. They are – Granado is setting these guys up to fail. The players themselves are not motivated. They're not engaged. The front office isn't doing anything to try and make this team better, and they're just sitting on their hands and hoping that they're the, for the sake of development that everything is going to work out. Do something. Do something. Sorry, Taylor. What were you, I, I interjected before. What were you going to add? So – I was going back to like the kind of chemistry point, but also the fact that people called him young it kind of fits in with the accountability thing that you can just technically by average age, they're the youngest team in the league. However, you can't, I, you can't just kind of wave that away. Like, Oh, they'll get it. They'll learn when they have more experience because they're not the most inexperienced team, or at least I don't think they're the most inexperienced team. They have a lot of guys who like are experienced despite their age. They have a lot of games under their belt. In fact, they have, 11 of the top 13 scorers from two years ago are here, meaning those guys all played together. That says something about who they haven't added <laughs> to the to the lineup. Yep. But it's it's a good example of the fact that these guys should have good chemistry. They have played together, and they have experience. This is not just – it's not enough to be like, oh, they'll just get better when they have more experience. They have a lot of it, and here's the proof. Uh, just looking at the lineup, we know the guys who are the veterans. Eric Johnson's played more than 1,000 games. Jeff Skinner – is creeping up to that thousand mark. Alex Tuck has played more than 400. Uh, Tage, he's played 325 games in the NHL. Rasmus Dahlin has played 387 games. Casey Middlestad's played 310. Dylan Cousins, 232. Yoki Haru, he's a good example, 303. Another recent addition, Jordan Greenway, 355. Connor Clifton, free agent addition in the offseason, 262. But even some of these other guys who are very young and are bringing down the average age, they're not that new to the NHL. Owen Powers played 120 games. Paterka, who I don't have really complaints about, is at 112. Krebs at 166. Samuelson's at 138. These guys have they've they've played in the NHL. They have like experience. More, oh, full season for everyone. Yeah. Stop so acting like it's a team of Zach Benson's. Like my God. <laughs> exactly. Another guy who's not really a problem. So these guys they have experience. This is your team. So you need to look at one of two things. If you're Kevin Adams, one. You'd say this is everything is going wrong. This is bad luck. No real empirical evidence points towards that, to be honest. I test underlying numbers, analytics, anything you want to look at, traditional stats, everything tells you this is not bad luck. So that moves you on to a second point. There's actually not enough talent here. We need more talent. And and I don't 
And I don't just mean in the one or two major addition ways because this team's on pace for like 75 points. So you can't just look at it the way they're playing now and say they need one or two more pieces, right? You would have to do major roster surgery in the offseason just to make the playoffs a possibility next year. But I don't believe that either. I'm a believer that really you can add one or two pieces if you do this third thing, which is you have to fire the coach because it's about more than just the talent on the roster. The fact that there are so many guys, I just went through all the guys who have been on the team for a while, but we'll just talk about guys who are underachieving. I'm going to say, I haven't said it all year, but I'm kind of at this point now. Skinner, the defense is a problem. Uh, It needs to be slightly below average. It doesn't even need to be average. It's abysmal. It's not great. And they're also just not playing well as Tuck and Tage. Tuck and Tage, I mean, I should say Tuck and Skinner are both skating today. Tuck, he hasn't been bad at all this year. He's been pretty good. He's just been hurt. Tage hasn't been good enough. And then that starts a long list of guys. Darlene, Cousins, Owen Power. Uh, Jordan Greenway has been hurt, so I won't I won't add him. We've talked about the fourth line a million times. Those guys still kind of qualify. And then, of course, Connor Clifton. So you have all of those guys not playing well. That kind of points towards the coach, as does these slow starts, as does inconsistency. And it's, it's not enough to say, like, oh, well, they just beat these good teams this year, so they're obviously good. But the reason that you see that potential sometimes is because it exists. You saw it all of last year. That wasn't a mirage. It wasn't just all these guys' career years. Even if it was, they should be somewhat close to that, and they're not. The fact that you're seeing all these things go wrong at once, it speaks to a coaching issue. Agreed. You, you, do, you do need to hire the right coach to do that, to actually turn that around. But And sometimes, hey, it's just – Guys are sick of the message or things don't work out or whatever. It's not like a death sentence. But Brendan, I tweeted this the other day. After DJ Smith got fired, Don Granato became the eighth longest tenured coach in the NHL. He hasn't he hasn't made a playoff game. It's insane. It's inexcusable. And again, it's it goes back to the point of settling for mediocrity. The fact of the matter is, is that you have the longest playoff drought in the history of the sport. You are about to be tied with the Jets for the longest active playoff drought of any sport of any of the major sports. And again, you came one point away from getting in last year. And it's not even a matter of saying that Adams was trying to bet on his guys or anything like that, because that doesn't really apply here. And that also just isn't how teams take the next step. I'm with you that I don't think that, I want to choose my words carefully here because I was going to say, I don't think that the sky is falling. I think in the grant and like the immediate term, it absolutely is. But I don't think that you're in a position where it's like, all right, we got to ship Tage out of here. We got to ship cousins out of here. We got to just completely start over or anything like that. I do think that they are in desperate need of a big shakeup move like that. Sadly, more likely than not, those moves happen in the off season. And I don't know, I I just, for somebody that's as afraid of making a trade as Kevin Adams is, I can't imagine that he would take a swing like that during the season. However, it's undeniable that it needs to happen. I I think the coaching change is absolutely the the first piece of the puzzle here. I think that there could be a myriad of reasons as to why it needs to happen, why it should happen, what have you. And you just went through a bunch of them there. And like you said, to a degree, you do need to get the right person, but 
I'm not saying you just go get somebody off the street or anything like that. I'm certainly, certainly not saying just to promote Matt Ellis or somebody like that just into the role. But what I am saying, though, is that Jay Woodcroft is out there right now. Bruce Boudreaux, who, let's be fair here, I don't think he had a fair shake in Vancouver at all. We all know about the dysfunction of that organization, and obviously it's great that they have gotten their feet under them now and are are having a really good start, start to the year here. But Boudreaux did not get his fair shake there. And if you look at his career prior to that stint in Vancouver, everywhere he's went, the offense has followed him. And is that not exactly what this team needs right now? A shot in the arm of some up-tempo, run-and-gun offense? And I think Woodcroft can give you that as well. Those are two guys right there. I, I'll be honest, beyond that list, of got like that's about it for who I feel comfortable with them going after. That can obviously change when it gets to the offseason, when it comes to the time that you know guys get fired or assistants are up for jobs, things like that. But you have two guys right there that I think kind of dispel the notion of like, oh, well, what are you gonna just have like some interim coach? Like, no, you can you could go get a guy right now. You can go get like a, a an accomplished coach right now that seemingly seems as though they fit the mold of what this team kind of needs in terms of a direction and, and to excel. So I, I'm with you. I, I think the coaching staff is the first step. But back to my point from before, my God, we have been saying it for going on like two years now. Really in the past year is when we've been really kind of banging the table about it. There needs to be some sort of, I don't want to go as far to say franchise altering, but you need to make a big move. I'm not ready to give up. I'm not giving up on on Dylan Cousins or anything like that after the slow start, but that's a very valuable piece you have there at what is seemingly a, a pretty fair contract for a 2C of, of his level and what he gives you. Am I saying that I want him shipped out right now? No. But what I am saying is, is that that should not be off the table. I mean, yeah, somebody of that level, you know, like I, I you're not going to do it with Darlene. Obviously, you're not going to do it with Tage. I mean, I, I'm not in any way, shape, or form ready to punt on Owen Power. Let's be clear there. But you need something here, and you need to, I think, use one of your big pieces or your big fishes here, and you need to go out and get another one from another team. You need to shake things up. There needs to be a change. There absolutely needs to be. And I'm really, really disheartened at the fact that that's not going to happen right now. And unless the coaching change happens, I think that this is what we're going to be resigned to these like very intense swings where they're going to go out and beat Boston. And then the next game they're going to lose to Ottawa or something like that. But there just needs to be something that shakes this group up, that wakes them up. And it makes your team better. It's just, it's not working with Granado right now. We, I think I said last episode of the one before, he absolutely deserves credit for the way that he was able to instill confidence and to a degree unlock Tage and Darlene, get Skinner back on track, Tuck, Cousins, 
all of these guys. He absolutely deserves credit for that. But there's more to being an NHL coach, a winning NHL coach at that, than just those things. It's roster construction. It's strategy. It's deployment. It's knowing when to pull what strings. Who needs to sit a night? Who needs to be in the lineup on a nightly basis? Who should be getting X amount of minutes? And the fact of the matter is, is that in all of those things that I just mentioned, Granado has had legitimate struggles with them. And it makes you wonder if a guy like Granado is just like a really good top tier assistant to have on a staff as compared as compared to being the guy that can pull the strings properly or the span of an 82 game season to get the most out of a team to take them to the next level. Because I do not think that Don Granado is the guy that can take them to the next level. I agree. And I actually wanted to get more into that. Let's uh, do it. But first we want to hear a word from our sponsors. Sure we do. All right. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. So, for example, if you're looking uh, for hockey games to bet today on Thursday, oh, the Sabres play. How about that? They're hosting the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs are favored. The Sabres are plus 136 on the money line. Uh, I think this is interesting because the Sabres should lose based on how things are going. They have beaten better teams this year. Uh, they have beaten the Maple Leafs. And the Maple Leafs historically don't really win in Buffalo a lot. So real stoppable force versus movable object energy here. And if you're interested in getting on that kind of action, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. New customers can get $115 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- 789-7777. Visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age ver- will vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. cdkng.com slash hockey terms for eligibility. Deposit restriction terms and responsible gaming resources. NHL and NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. Okay, so now that we're back... I agree on Granado. I think this is – we didn't come out and say this up front, but this is a, more or less a fire Granado episode, I guess, isn't it? It really is. It, <laughs> it truly, truly I, – I just a, a, a game like that on home ice, I mean, what more do you need? Like that is absolutely a fireable offense trotting out that team and them playing like that last night. And then you have the Leafs coming to town on Thursday. If they get trounced again, are, are you just going to continue to let this happen, Kevin Adams? I mean, that's the, that's what I've been kind of getting at. I mentioned this on our Twitter ahead of the road trip, saying basically like, hey, if this road trip goes bad enough, uh, maybe on Monday we'll be talking about a new coach. And I think some people were probably surprised by that, but it, and it didn't go bad enough. Obviously, they beat Vegas. It, was, it went just well enough that you couldn't even talk about firing the coach. But this is the kind of thing, like, that. this is just such a terrible loss. They bounce back with a win. Maybe the heat comes off a little bit, but I don't know. I, I, I just think in general – the hotter it gets, that kind of loss just it, it adds such a level of heat that a win over the Leafs doesn't cool it off to that same degree. 
Oh, I'm sure for the organization it will. Come on. Are you kidding me? I can see it now. Adams or Granado will talk to the media after they win. And, oh, I really feel like we're we're turning a corner here. This is one of those wins that you can really use to build off of. And this is something that's going to get us really fired up as we head into the second half of the season. And then they're going to go and get dog walked by the Rangers on Saturday. I'm just <laughs> calling it right now. It, it's It's too easy. Yeah, it'd be funny if they won both. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, just looking at some of these alternates, I agree with you. I don't really – I think you're going to fire midseason. You bring in a, a veteran guy. You don't just go with like, hey, what's up, Seth Appert? Like, Maybe I, I on an think... interim basis, but definitely not the rest of the way. Right, yeah. I don't think you would do that for the next 50 games or however many – roughly 50 games that are left. So I also agree with your two choices because I'd be a little nervous about Dean Evason or – uh, Berube, who are the real other choices people have out there. So I just wanted to kind of get more on Boudreaux. So Woodcroft, I think, is a good example of this. When he got fired, Edmonton's record was terrible. And unlike the Sabres, you could point to underlying numbers and say, hey, these are pretty good. It's kind of insane how unlucky they've been. And what have they done since, Brendan? Been good. Nothing, nothing but win. Is it because Woodcroft is gone? Or is it because... Is that just regression? I mean, that mostly seems like a positive regression to me. I agree completely, especially looking at how they were last year. Yeah, definitely. I think he's an interesting case because the roster around McDavid and Drysdale got better, you know, compared to like four or five years ago, compared to before he was there. But they also got – he deserves some level of credit for how the teams played, I think. I I mean, they played his style – they they won multiple playoff rounds. Like he's good. He's he's a guy I'd be pretty confident in. And he also oversaw one of the greatest power plays of all time last year. So be something cool too. Uh, but Boudreaux, I want to go over this because I think the Boudreaux thing. You know, I, I think he, people are down on him. Maybe they're right. He's almost seventy years old. He hasn't won a cup. I get that. But I just wanted to go over how good his resume is. I know yeah. people do forget how good his resume is. And he was a guy that didn't get a co- head coaching job until later. He wasn't one of these guys that got their first job in their early 30s. He was 53 years old when Washington hired him. And it was after missing the playoffs the two years under Ovechkin, his first two years, they made the playoffs his first year, won the Southeast Division. The next year, they won the President's Trophy. Or sorry, in the next year, they were in the playoffs. They won the President's Trophy. Next year, when they are in the playoffs, year three, President's Trophy, 121 points. So to be clear, he went from 81 points in 61 games 108, 121, 107. And then in his fifth season, he got fired. Uh, they just had 25 points in 22 games. I believe he got fired after a Sabres lost. I think the Sabres got fired. Slow start. He got picked up that year by Anaheim. And a team that was one of the worst teams in the league finished the season with 62 points in 58 games. And then by the next year, 116 points, sorry, 66 points in the 48-game shortened season, which won them the division. And then 116, 109, 103 points. Those all won the division. So if you're counting here, that is eight division titles. And he got fired after that last one because of playoff failures. I mean, we don't have to get into that. People, that's what the negative yeah. part people remember. He lost a lot of game sevens. And then the next year goes to Minnesota. 106 points, 101 points. Slow down, definitely. 83 points, and then he had 61 and 57 games before being fired in 2019-20. But, you know, there was some good times there. 
before Kill Kaprizov got there to uh, kind of resurrect them. And then in Vancouver, this is how recently he was a pretty good coach. Two years ago, Vancouver has a terrible start. They're one of the worst teams in the league through 25 games. He gets them to 32-15-10 to finish the year, 74 points in 57 games. They were basically a 100-point team after he got there. And then the next year, they just, you know, they collapsed. They're, they're a kind of a mess of a franchise, despite their early success this year. Um, but there's a lot of good things there. There's positive things from his start everywhere. He, so to recap, he shows up in Washington, midseason, mind you, his first year. They won the division. Shows up in Anaheim midseason. They immediately become a pretty good team. The next year, they won the division. Now they do it four times in a row. He shows up in Minnesota. They don't win the division, but they're a 106-point team. He shows up in Vancouver. They're a 100-point team on pace for the, the past three quarters of the season. He's been good everywhere, and these have been recent. And he's a beloved guy. He's an affable guy. I don't think – this is beside the point. I don't think his career should end the way it did in Vancouver. Not the point about him getting hired here. But he's the kind of guy that just wins on the regular season. He walks into these different situations. Those are definitely four different teams. And I don't just mean they're different franchises. They're all different teams, and he won at all of them. So I think, at the very least, he's a short-term option. He's 70 years old almost. So you'd have to understand that he would be here for the rest of the season, maybe like a year or two. He wouldn't be here forever. But it'd be something to make these guys, to take them to the next level, as you kind of pointed out there, that Granado brought them, made these guys professionals to some level, um, helped out guys who were having trouble in their career, like Skinner, like Downlean, like Middlestad, and Tage, frankly. And then, you know, things aren't going great right now. I don't think he's adjusting at that really high level. Well, Boudreaux will. And then you can do do whatever from there, make the playoffs at some point, though. I'm, I, I just think, like, uh, he's proven time and time again how good he is, not even just as an addition to a team, but as a midseason addition. So that would and be my well, if he wants to do it, because I know he has some other stuff going on. Well, the other side of that, too, is that, unlike Woodcroft, we have confirmed prior interests in working in Buffalo. There were multiple reports that he was interested in the Buffalo job before Granado ended up getting it. And, you know, it was close to home for him. I, I mean, you have these two good options that are essentially staring you in the face and that either way, like you don't even have to, but, I mean, obviously using this season as context is one thing, but like just stacking those guys up against Granado, it's like, just ask yourself, which of these three do you most want leading this roster, this team? And if you had to rank them, I don't think that there is a person on this planet who would put Granado ahead of Woodcroft or Boudreaux. No. Not in the slightest. So what are you waiting for? Do you yeah. want to just let another season slip by? Do you want to continue to be in the NHL history books for all the wrong reasons? Or do you want to try and fix this? Are you serious about winning? Do you want to prove to the fans that you're serious about winning? Do you want to prove that there's a little bit of urgency within the walls of key bank center and try and do this thing right and try and get these guys to take the next step in all of their careers. Because again, we saw how detrimental it could be to have a coach that is overseeing a bunch of guys who are just like middling in their careers. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. in, in Kruger's case, you really can't compare the two because Kruger was just straight up sabotaging guys. But if they've hit their ceiling with Granado, it's like, thank you. 
you've done great. You've gotten these guys to this point, but you're not the guy that's going to be able to take them to the next level. And if there is even an inkling of that in this front office, which there should be a hell of a lot more than that, then you need to make this move and you need to do it now and you need to do it fast because as we said last episode, do you really, really want to get to a position where you're in February and you are already so far out of the playoff race that the building is going to go back to being lucky to scrap together 10,000 people a night in there? Do you really want to go back to that? Because I got news for you. If things keep trending in this direction and they keep Granado here and make him go through the line of fire for the rest of this season while this team just spirals and is middling, you'll be lucky to get 7,000 people in that arena come March. It's true. It's really sad. I was tailgating for the Bills game on this past Sunday, and someone, I don't remember who it was, but someone said to me, um, that they were such a huge hockey fan growing up, but the Sabres not only killed their love for the team with their incompetence, but their love for hockey. And I think that that could be a reason why you think people around here fell in love with hockey, not just because it existed, because the Sabres were good. This yeah. It's not some biological, deeply ingrained thing we have because we're born near Lake Erie. Like, the hockey got popular originally because the Sabres were here. Before the Sabres were here, there was like five rinks in the whole friggin' region. And like the Buffalo Bisons had some level of popularity, obviously, and I'm sure the Amherst did too, but the Sabres made hockey what it is. And they did that because they were great in the 70s and early 80s. They were competitive in the late 80s, early 90s. The 90s were really interesting. And it was really interesting all the way up until like 10 years ago, yeah, 12 years ago maybe now. So, yeah, it's just really sad. Uh, <laughs> you notice that we didn't really yell a lot on this one the way we did like four years ago. And, Brendan, I would compare this to how I started to feel about the Bills around this time in their drought where it was just a lot more being resigned and a lot of, I didn't have a podcast, so I didn't have to think about them all the time, but I still did for free. And it was a lot of like, eh, whatever. Oh, that was nice. Thad Lewis beat the dolphins. Oh, that was all right. That's cool. Oh, the draft's coming up. Uh, seems like people are excited about that. It was a lot of that. And you know, there was some time still like, it's not like I never went off, but like there was definitely considering how much of like insane sports fan I was when I was younger and remain now, there was definitely like huge, chunks of me being super apathetic about the team. Like I remember it must have been 2010, which is the famous last Trent Edwards start for the Bills, which he ended with his final play for the franchise, running out of bounds for a gain of two on fourth and 10. Not a joke, real thing that happened. Uh, Symbolism. So I remember watching that game though, and it was against the Packers and it was the year they won the Super Bowl. It was a blowout. It was like 38 to 10. And I was just like, it didn't even hurt. And I was like, ah, there goes Aaron Rodgers, another touchdown. I think I had one of those guys, one of his receivers on my fantasy team. And I was like, oh, it'd be good if he threw it to him for this next touchdown. And I don't feel that way. I mean, I have too much disdain for like every other hockey team of the Eastern Conference, basically for me to feel that way in hockey. But I, I still, I, with the Sabres, I do feel a lot of like beaten down resignation. Reminds me kind of at the end of the 2012 Bill season, how I felt about Dave Wadstad. So, can I which throw is cool something at you? With Lindy Ruff getting fired. Can I, can I throw something at you here that I think kind of ties into everything that we've been talking about? So who would you say among the Sabres forward group has been the best, most consistent player? Uh, most consistent is definitely Paterka. Okay. Who else would you put up there? 
Middlestat's up there. He's somewhat well. Middlestat had a huge streak of not uh, having any points, though. I don't well, know everything, but. He's the guy that I want to talk about because I think yeah. he, Paterka is obviously at the top, but I think Middlestad has been up there too, just relative to the rest of the forward group with how he's looked. And it's no secret. We all know he's up for a contract at the end of this year. Yeah. At the end of last year, we all came away from that strong stretch that he had to close out the season saying, yeah, you know what? He was really good. He deserves to have the opportunity to see if he can be a part of the long-term plan here was last year a fluke like what kind of guy do we really have here and i think in most situations if his contract situation even was pushed back a year or uh you know that we were kind of having this conversation at this time last year all things considered but it, it would be a little bit different but i think with where we are now you know you've handed out big extensions to Darlene to Cousins, to Tage, to Samuelson. Skinner obviously has a big contract and is is here. I mean, that wasn't this administration who gave it to him, but he's blocked in for a little bit. Tuck is here for a little bit. But mainly on those extensions, I've just been thinking about it, that the extensions that Kevin Adams has, has given out to guys throughout his tenure. And I'm at the point that while I feel as though Middlestat in a vacuum has done enough to earn an extension. I don't know if I would give him one solely for the fact that you have been handing out extensions to guys who have really accomplished nothing. Right. Do you really want to hand out another long-term deal to a guy that is a part of a group that has not accomplished anything? And that's not an indictment on middle stat. It's more so the fact that you can't, keep investing these long-term contracts in guys when the core that you have created may not even be good enough to get you to where you want to be in the first place. And so do you really want to commit yourself to Casey Middlestad for four or five years, whatever a deal like that may look like when you already have a bunch of money tied up in guys that you're questioning whether they're a solution or a part of the problem. I mean, do you give Casey like do you do you just cut your losses and try and not cut your losses, but do you try and trade him because he's going to have value? And I think that on the the trade market, as we're getting closer to deadline day, you know, a couple months out now, Middlestat's a guy that's probably going to be pretty high up the boards where he doesn't make a lot right now. You're going to have his RFA rights. He's been producing a bit on an underperforming team, and you could probably get something pretty good for him. And again, I just go back to this point that it's not an indictment of middle stat. It's more so the state of the franchise, the front office and the money that you have already invested in guys and have locked into guys for the next six, seven years that I'm just sitting here and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that again with a guy that hasn't been a part of a a, a solution here. That's fair but I don't know if it's individually fair to him because I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying more from like a, a that's what, that's my whole point is that this isn't an indictment on middle step by any means, but it's more so the premise of handing out another long-term extension to a guy when you've already been handing them out. And at least for right now, it's not working. Right. Right. 
I that's a good point. I wonder I I I would worry about that though because I think we could look at the the terrible Sabres team we mentioned earlier from 3 years ago that lost 18 games in a row and looked like one of the worst teams ever. There were actually a lot of talented guys around that team. Like and it was worth different teams paying. Now maybe they don't all work as a group. I know it wouldn't have obviously, but like, for example, you could say similar things like, should the Sabres extend Reinhardt? Should the Sabres extend Allmark? Guys like that, they're on the team, and they were good. Like, and it, it's turned out well for the teams that do have them. So I would be a little worried, but I also would be worried on the other hand, like, if he wants, like, a five-year deal, like, where where does this all fit in together? How is this eventually going to be a cohesive group of guys? Yes. You have, like, Middlestat, Quinn, Paterka, Benson. You want Kulik and Savoy up at some point. How does that all fit in together? I think in this case, though, depending on what kind of deal Casey wants, it might be easier to just sign him and understand that you could trade him later. Or the other thing, if you do trade him now, what kind of deal are you getting? Because I'm not really interested in, like, picks. I'm not either. No, I don't think that's what that deal would look like. I think it's like a body for body kind of thing. Are you trading middle set and maybe you're getting a couple pieces back or something? I mean, you can get something of value there. It's just, again, it's not about him. It's not about his play. It's more the premise of, I don't want to keep handing out these long-term contracts to guys that are a part of a team. And again, understanding that I'm not saying this is an indictment of middle stat, but keep handing out contracts to guys that, in reality, the makeup of this team just might not be working. And that's not Middlestat's fault by any means. But is this like a trend that you really want to get into? Because then you have to consider what money are you going to give to Middlestat right now? And how is that relative to the money that you're eventually going to need to hand out to Quinn, that you're going to need to give to Paterka, that you're going to need to give to Levi? Those are all within the next two years that you're going to have to have those three locked up. And they're, I mean, all three of them, I feel like, would probably end up having a higher AAV than than middle stat, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I Roughly. think so. Yeah. So, again, it's just, what are we doing here? Like, is this, is it going to be, when we're talking about, like, a big shakeup, is it, that you're gonna make some kind of a bigger move that maybe keeps some of the core intact, like specifically, specifically, really like Tage and Darlene. And we can even loop power in there because I don't think they're gonna obviously trade him and not that they should or anything like that. So that you're gonna maybe like allow the next generation to come through and that your, your Kulik and your Benson and your, your Quinn and your Paterka, that's kind of your new core in addition to Tage. Or do you just want to keep investing in these guys? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, but it's something that I think the front office needs to really start asking themselves. Like, I just, I, I don't want to keep handing out contracts when these guys just aren't getting the job done, like as a unit. And it's more so, like I said, it's, it's, it's not about Middlestead individually. It's, the message that you're sending and the the premise of it and and the roster construction component of it like you got to do something here and i just i don't think that you can conceivably sign middle stat 
without a plan to move out one of the guys that you already gave an extension to given the other ones that you have coming. And also because the team needs it. Yeah. Like I'm not advocating for a move for the sake of just making a move per se. I'm advocating for making a move that just makes this core better or makes this team better because we thought that we had one in place that was going to be good enough. But now I'm, I, I think everybody's like very seriously questioning that. Yeah, yeah, as they should. So be. I just want to be more cautious about giving out these extensions here because, in terms, like I said, like those guys who I mentioned before, in terms of like the hierarchy, Quinn, Paterka, and Levi getting extensions matters more to me than Middlestat. And if giving him one is going to cut into that, because you don't want to move Samuelson, and if you're even able to move him at this point with that six plus million dollar deal, I don't know, man. It just. It's incredible how we have gone within the span of barely three months of being like, well, they still are like a big piece away, but like this is a team that's probably good enough for them to be in playoff contention. And now just questioning whether they're good, whether the core is even good enough in the first place. Yeah. I don't know. We got to figure it out. Like it gets to a point that like, These guys just aren't, they're not cutting it. Like I, I know power, like he's had a really rough season so far, I think by and large. I mean, he had some bad puck luck yesterday with the one goal where he shot it and was trying to send it back around the boards and it ends up hitting the ref. And then that leads to the blue jackets, just passing it right out in front. That's unlucky, but like the kid looks lost out there. And what were we saying all off season? What were we saying the entirety of his first year with the Sabres? It's that you need to get the kid a partner so that he doesn't have to be the one that's relied upon on his pair, that he can have somebody that he can learn from, that he can lean on, that he can afford to make mistakes with. And what are they doing? They're they're trotting him out there with Yoki Haru again. Not that Yoki Haru's been that bad, but like he's not the answer next to him. Samuelson is not the answer next to Darlene. Sitting Ryan Johnson, it's not the answer here. And and again, like that's I guess that goes back to the point of just. Granado setting these guys up for failure. All of this stuff is just like so intertwined with one another. It's Adams not doing his job for improving this team and making them better and just hoping that the development's going to work out, which it really doesn't in that way. It's Granado then taking what Adams gives him, which isn't great, but it's not the worst, and not being able to fully maximize that and maximize and get the most out of these guys. It, it, like all of this stuff one thing kind of contributes to another here. And they're just, I, I know I'm talking in circles, but it's because that's how this team makes my fucking head feel. Like it's just in a loop around and round and round we go. Like you're going to lose a couple of shitty games and then you're going to go beat Boston. And then, like I said before, like it's just, this year has just been a mess. It's not even fun. Like this is just like bleak. Like there were times that in the, in the real deep parts of the drought, really like, when we were one or like a year or two into doing blue and gold, make Darlene at the time that we kind of jokingly would be like, what are we doing this for? Like these people, these guys make us miserable. And like, it just, it sucks the joy out of like you had alluded to before, like the, the way that they have been operating and playing, it sucks the joy out of what makes us all love this sport and love this team so much. Yeah. It's, it's really brutal. Uh, I think going forward though, when you talked about the roster construction type stuff, it's really non-negotiable 
and this is what a, a president of hockey ops would come in good being like, you got to do this. You have to get power someone to play with. And you don't have to wait until the summer to do that. Like they, if Adams is serious about next year being the year, which is the most generous possible thing you could the most generous possible reading of his tenure so far is that he really wanted them to make it in the 24, 25 season. Well, they're not in shape to make the playoffs next year. So you have to start now deciding things, whether that's firing the coach, whether that's making these moves, don't wait till July 1st to make all these moves. Like start now the deadline, start thinking for next year now when it comes to that stuff. So that's getting power partner. You know what else that is, Brendan? That's sending Devin Levi to the AHL. I know I said I wanted to play it by ear the other day. That was stupid. I was too impressed with the couple games he had. You're right. It's it's not good in general. He's got to go back. And that means if you want to have someone, you know, just as a three goalie thing, just because you don't trust anyone in particular, I don't know, pick up Antti Ranta or one of these goalies. Just there'll be a goalie available, a third goalie. Yeah. And you're going to have to play UPL and Comrie. And you made your bet on that one. That's what you decided to do. So, I just want to say I, I completely agree on that. I, I think it was just getting caught in the moment a little. I mean, no, it really wasn't. It, it, it's just at the time it felt like it was like an informed thing where it's like, all right, he has looked good. And I know we're only talking about a few days, but it's like maybe this is the way to go about it. But I think that that loss last night was just so eye-opening that – you, you really can't walk away from that from with any other take than being like, do, do we really want to keep trotting this guy out there to have to deal with this? Like, is this what's best for him long-term? Yeah. I mean, it seems impossible that it is just go to the AHL and dominate for the rest of the year. I mean, the AHL team right now in Rochester, they score a lot. They don't stop the puck a lot. Hey, if you had Levi, maybe that's different. And then, Hey, Maybe he gets to have a fun playoff run. That's great for confidence. We'll see next year. But I think another thing, we said this last year, and I'm definitely not backing this off this one. Next year, if things don't, if there's not some real drastic change with how Comrie and UPL play the rest of the year, get them both out. It, well, you can do one of two ways. Comrie's out anyway. I'm pretty sure it was a two year deal. You have to get the guy who to be the 1B. It doesn't even have to be someone that good. I, it's a low bar around the league right you now. You might even need the 1A. Levi's 21. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. I shouldn't say 1B. But that that's what I'm saying. You could also leave Levi down and use UPL as a buffer. So Levi has a chance to come up again next year. Sure. And that might sound conservative, but no, it's actually fucking not. Because talking about goalies being in the NHL when they're 22, it's still rare. It's still rare at 22, which he's turning, I think, later this week. It's rare at 23. It only starts to be normal at 24. So they Kevin Adams has access to all that data. So, so does everyone else. So we said it a million fucking times. Like this shit is so annoying. Just he might need some AHL time because almost every goal in the history of the league has. Even look at Dustin Wolf. Dustin Wolf is just getting his first taste at it, and he had two full years. Yeah. In the AHL, and he's probably about as highly touted goalie as Devin Levi is right now. Yeah. He had two full years with, with Calgary's AHL affiliate. He's starting to get a little bit of a taste of things now this year. I think he's had five starts this year so far, but it, that's still, he's been in the AHL mostly this year as well. Like 
you need to have time to let these guys cook. Look at any of the top prospects right now, currently outside the NHL or like dancing in and out. They all have that background of being able to have some professional experience at the AHL level to help with the adjusting and adapting to the NHL game. It's just not how it works. And it's just so funny that like we called this out in the off season, you and I, that there were people who were like, no, Levi's just different. Levi's he, he he's cut from a different cloth. He's built different. You hear the, the, the comments after the game, which are awesome. Like Levi is really cool. I'm so glad that we have him and that he is hopefully the future of, of the net here in Buffalo. But for people getting caught up in that and the Sabres getting caught up in that and expecting a historical anomaly out of a 21-year-old just because, just because, not because of any reasons, not because of anything that like you could look at tangibly, seven games. No, let's roll with this. Let's put this level of pressure on a 21-year-old's shoulders. And ultimately, you know, run the risk of stunting or hurting his development. But let's do that. Give me a break, man. Do your job. This front office. Like, wake up, Adams. It's embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. And I can't remember who it was. It may have been uh, either Joe Marino or... Uh, Aaron, the 23 Sabre, one of those guys had put something, had tweeted something last night of being like, get ready because if you're expecting anything big this offseason, it's just going to come down to he's going to let Johnson, Opozo, and Gergensen's walk, and they're going to bring up Kulik and Rosean for full time roles and, and Johnson for a full time role and call it a day. And it's if that is the case. He shouldn't even make it to the like Adams shouldn't even make it to the first game next season. It's yeah. embarrassing. Your yeah. job is to get into the playoffs. You have had three years of this, and it takes time, and you got to build these things. It doesn't happen overnight. We know that, but you've had enough time. Enough is enough. Like, we need answers. If you're not gonna try and do a coaching change or anything like that, like, that's the thing for me with Adams. The longer that he waits, this is probably very obvious, but like the longer he waits, the worse it looks on him. More, more than it looks bad on Granado, it looks way worse on Kevin Adams the longer that he waits to do this or to do anything, obviously, but like mainly the coaching thing because it's like you don't even want to try and throw your guys a lifeline. Try and dig their way out of this. It's maddening. Bad times. Let's talk about something lighter, Taylor. How about the Middle East? Uh, the Middle East of what? West Seneca, New York. Oh, I love it, folks. Who doesn't enjoy all the all the fine restaurants in the Hamlet of Ebenezer? Oh, don't what even get started place. on the Hamlet of Ebenezer. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> come on! Real Hamlet of Ebenezer had mighty tacos like you've never even seen before. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! What are we uh, doing? Where where do we go from here? Is it is it just you got to fire? I mean, I guess I'll tell you where we go. The man. episode Hamlet of fucking Ebenezer. We're going to the Hamlet of Ebenezer, folks. We're gonna get out there. We're getting after it. Come and find us. Where do we go though? Where do we? How do we put a bow on this episode right now, Taylor? Things are just such a mess and so bleak, and everybody's just mad. Like I, I really think that's what it is. Everybody is just like angry that this season has gone 
about as bad as you could have imagined. Yeah, you know, it's like a person from a a movie I'm familiar with once said, the night is always darkest just before the dawn, oh. and I promise the dawn is coming. And then that guy got kidnapped and got his face blown up and half his face burned off and his fiance died horrifically. And then that turned him into a really evil person. Then he murdered some people. Then he threatened to murder a kid and got pushed off a building and killed. So just goes to show just because you say a good quote doesn't mean you're right. Anyway, go Sabres. <laughs> oh, boy. Who's ready for a Leafs game Thursday night? It's it's going to be a doozy, folks. The next time you hear from us, it will be after the Sabres have played, as we said, the Toronto Maple Leafs Thursday night. They follow that up with a game on Saturday against the New York Rangers, and then we see them again on December 27th against the Boston Bruins. So not exactly the easiest stretch of games coming up here as you're going up against three of the Eastern Conference's best. Are they going to walk away? It sounds so funny because I'm going to say, are they going to walk away with any points? And then they're going to probably rip off two or three uh, out of these next ones. But like, what do we even have to expect here, Taylor? If he loses all three, like they got to fire him, right? Absolutely. So the way I I see it is it's really funny if they win all three of these games. (laughs) It's, it's, It's awesome. But it's, it would also, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they've already beat all three of these teams. So that'd be extra funny. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I think what is going to happen is they are going to unexpectedly win one of them. And I'm leaning towards that being tonight. And I think if you really wanted to go down the pattern of how the season's gone and how it could be conceivable to not fire Granado, it would be they beat the Leafs, they get smacked by the Rangers, and then they lose like 3-2 to two in overtime to the Bruins. And then it's like, oh. I mean, they can't fire anyone right now anyway because the roster freeze, but that'll be up after the Bruins game, so. Yep. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> right. All right. Anything else you want to add, Taylor, before we sign off? Uh, Kovals. You got a recommendation? Oh, yeah. Recommendation. Uh, I just watched something, so I should have one. Oh, yeah. Holiday classic, Gremlins 2. The first Gremlins is actually a Christmas movie, so if you really want to watch a a, a movie that takes place on Christmas, you could choose Gremlins. Gremlins 2, though, one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, I genuinely love it and think it's a masterpiece. So one of the great sequels in American history. And, uh, yeah, check it out, folks. It's on HBO, I think. All right. I like it. I'm going to go... With an album for mine, I'm going to go with Year of the Newt by Bobbing. So I previously have done recommendations for an artist named Still Woozy, who's one of my favorite artists. Uh, Bobbing, the guy who kind of fronts that project or uses that as his alias, was previously in a band with the guy who goes by Still Woozy. Prior to both of them doing their solo thing, they were in a really cool kind of like mathy indie rock band called Feed Me Jack that was really good. And they both went on to have very different kind of solo careers as compared to the music that they were creating when they were with Feed Me Jack. And so he put out this album this year called Year of the Newt. And it's pretty hard to describe. I mean, it's, it's like alternative indie in that kind of space, but like there is a lot of influences in there. There's a lot of 
different i don't even know how to describe it i mean like genres that i guess are kind of woven in with the album it's 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 a very tough one to to kind of describe but i like i said i would highly recommend checking it out if there's one song i would say to just give like a taste of it to see if it might be something you'd be into check out the song elevator music that one i think is really cool very sonically pleasing and kind of crazy so check that one out bobbing is the artist and the album is year of the new good stuff Great stuff. All right. Well, everybody, we'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday. But in the meantime, make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast, that being the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of our show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows across whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. You can also find Straight Up Sabres on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And before you close out of this app, make sure you leave us a nice little rating or review and are subscribed or following us on your preferred streaming platform of choice. Last but not least, we have our sponsor, that being DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. We will be back with a brand new episode on Monday. At least I think we'll be back. But with that being said, everybody, we hope you have a very Merry Christmas if you're celebrating. Enjoy the holiday season. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sitting on the bedroom floor.